Ma. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get grown. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. Kane's cartel coming through. Tell me what these other teams gonna do. Orange or green, on your screen, hit with a fool. Well, welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm here with Mike Zimmerman, my producer. I know it's been a while since we've been on and talked to you guys. Um, little different setup this time, Mike. We decided to go ahead and Zoom record this uh, because... I don't know why. We just wanted to do it. <laughs> well, we're we're, we're going to test a few things out, maybe add some video for the Wide Right podcast. We'll see. We're just testing it out, you know, see if mm-hmm. we like it, see if you guys like it. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's what we're doing for this one. I know it's been a, a weird time for everybody. Everybody's at home trying to do the right thing, not spread this disease, and it's been tough uh, for me personally. Uh, you know, I'm here with my family, my wife and my two daughters. Uh, they've been great. I've been the one who's been a little depressed lately. Hmm. Uh, I think it's just I need to get out of the house. I'm so used to getting out of the house, going to practices, going to games, whether it's Hurricanes games or Miami Heat or whatever, whatever sort of going on in the sports world. And it's been an adjustment for me. This is all I've done since I was 17 years old. And so um, it's been weird for me not to have sports in my life. And uh, at times, it feels trivial doing some of the things that we're doing at The Athletic, writing some of these stories. I know, ultimately, we're we're trying to provide a distraction for everybody, something to read, something to, to do and pass the time. But uh, personally, it's it's been tough for me. I don't know how it's been for you, Mike. How do you feel? How have you sort of dealt with this? I mean, we're a month in now to everybody sort of being at home, trying to protect themselves, trying to protect their family. So, I mean, I've... I've kind of stayed away from watching any sports things just because, like you kind of mentioned, it's it's a little depressing. You know, you don't want to watch what you love and know it's not going on. I mean, we we would be, you know, getting ready for Miami spring game, talking about position battles, uh, how Derek King's looking, uh, you know, what Rhett Lashley's playbook kind of looks like, just a bunch of different things that we could be talking about that we were excited about in January now we have no idea when you know we'll be able to see that so i've kind of steered away from the whole sports world uh kind of stayed off twitter a little just because that also contributed to the uh, the lack of sports depression but to keep busy i've kind of been watching tv shows watching some new movies here and there just to i guess keep my mind off some things have you watched any of these nba 2k games going on between the players i, I find it a little ridiculous no because I I, I just never sort of understood the whole, hey, I'm going to watch somebody else play video games thing. I mean, I get it. They're star athletes. It's kind of cool to see what those guys are like. But I'd rather they have their own reality TV show than than anything related to them playing video games. It's just kind of boring to me. No, I haven't watched any of that. I didn't even watch the uh, the horse competition they had. That was a little yeah, weird hokey. for me. Yeah. But, no, I've I've kind of just – not paid attention to the sports world um, just because it's, it's not worth it at this point. Um, I mean, frankly, there, there are more important things going on. I know that's cliche, but it's also, you know, let's, let's wait till everything's back before we, we can get back into it. I, I want to get Calvin on the show. Eventually uh, he and I have been talking on and off here uh, over the last three or four weeks since the last podcast that we did. And it's just weird. Kelvin's, you know, 
he's so positive all the time about everything in life, especially about the Canes when we have him on the show. But he's like, man, I, he goes, I know I'm going to be tailgating, you know, come late August. I'm going to be ready for this thing. And I, and I looked at Facebook the other day. I have several chat groups with Hurricanes fans. And I saw these guys sort of doing Zoom uh, meetings where everybody's tailgating in their own house. That's and cool. It, like it, it gets spirits up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and everybody's sitting at home, barbecuing, drinking, and they got their buddies on Zoom. Exactly. And, and I'm so, sure they're talking about old games and memories and all of that, old oh, tailgate yeah. stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, take, bringing it back to the athletic for a second, I mean, I've been writing some, some stories where I'm digging into the archives, you know, sort of highlighting the best 10 games of the Howard Schnellenberger era, uh, the 10 best, uh, actually the, almost the, the best 30 best games of the Jimmy Johnson era. Um, just trying to provide people with content and things to to entertain themselves with. We've had a chance to actually talk to a couple of the assistant coaches. Uh, University of Miami Sports Information Department's been helping set up interviews with some of these coaches. Uh, we we got a chance to talk to Garen Justice, the offensive line coach, um, two weeks ago. Uh, last week we talked to the new receivers coach. Um, so you know we're gonna have some more content here for you in the weeks ahead in as far as the wide right podcast is concerned. But today we wanted to come on, talk a little bit to you guys, cause it's been a while. Mike Zimmerman came up with some good ideas. He created this fan survey, he came up to me last week and said, Hey, I got an idea for a show. Let's do a survey. I know people that are bored at home. They'll probably want to fill it out. And we actually got really good responses. I think close to 500 uh, responses uh, to Mike's survey, and he did a great job with it. I think I added one question. You did the rest of it, <laughs> but I basically uh, asked one question, um, and and the rest of it was just good content provided by Mike. And and we want to start the show with that, I guess, Mike. Um, this questionnaire that we got filled out. Um, before we get into individual questions, th- this one was kind of a good starting point. I think is when did you become a Hurricanes fan? And I think it's important to know this because you want to know who your audience is. You want to know you know, what people have sort of experienced. And it's great to, to see that as far as people who took the survey and probably people who listen to our podcast, it's all spread out. I mean, you, you, you've got 26% of the audience, which is the leading percentage, uh, 1985 to 1992. So they joined the Hurricanes right after the first national championship and sort of began following the program through the Jimmy years. That's the majority of our audience. But if, it's really well spread out, Mike. Yeah, and I think I, I, it, I think the whole point of that question was, like you said, kind of gauge what your audience is, kind of, did you become a Canes fan after their first national championship? Was it after 87 when they won? Was it kind of after the 2000, 2001, 2002 dynasty? You know, what kind, kind of gauging, you know, when they became fans. And also, it's, it's you know, you're, you're finding your demographic. How old, how old is this audience? Is there, mm-hmm. and I mean, we, we kind of found there's just a mix of everybody. Yeah, there really is. And, and you know, there's even, uh, I'd say 10%, just about 10% before 1980. So these people have been around for everything. They're the people who chime up and say, don't forget about this guy when you talk about the greatest hurricanes of all time. And that, by the way, is also part of our survey. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I, I was interested, too, to see we've, we've got a lot of millennials as well. I mean, yeah. you've got people that essentially didn't really become fans until the 2000s, even the mid-2000s, well after the uh, championship winning days. So it was a little surprising to see some of those numbers, but it's good that we have an audience that varies and everybody sort of experienced the Canes at different times. Um, It it provides good balance to the show, good back and forth. And I appreciate everybody who filled out these surveys. Uh, 
Mike, I think we didn't even post this to what Thursday or Friday of last week. And we're recording this here on Monday around three in the afternoon. Um, you know, 500 responses for a survey that we just put out on Twitter and essentially Facebook is pretty good. And, yeah. and a story as well as in the athletic. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was shocked by the, by the amount of, of fans who, who did the survey. And, you know, I guess I'm just excited to get into these answers because we were kind of talking before the show. There's some funny ones. There's some interesting ones. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, uh, here, well, first fun. of all, I, I love the fact that, you know, this is the second or third question of the survey it says, how would you describe yourself as a fan of Miami football? 61% said I'm a total diehard and close to another 30% basically said I consider myself more passionate than most. So everybody here says they're the ultimate Canes fan. So it's good. The passion is strong. It's real. Um, I think the small percentage, I consider myself an average fan. That's 8%. So basically everybody who responded to this survey and probably this is the show is a, a really strong fan or considers them a strong fan of this team. So we don't have like just any general listeners to any of this stuff. And it's kind of funny, the, the arrogance too. You expect this from Miami fans. I'm a total diehard, right? Like none of, they'll never consider them like a scrub fan. Like, eh, I kind of like the Canes. No, they're in this win or lose. They're diehards. Oh, of course. And I, and I also think that's good for us too, because that means we can get into detail about things. We don't have to just, you know, like you said, there's no general fan. So we don't have to just talk, you know, just cover the surface of, of things. We can actually get into detail because our audience is either A, looking for that, or B, already is interested in that because they are such diehard fans. Yeah. So I went in after you finished the survey. I mentioned how I had one question that I provided uh, for the survey. The rest was all Mike. Um, which version of the turnover chain is your favorite? And the reason I came up with this is because it's kind of been a hot topic between us, just me, you, and Calvin. And we talk about swagger and, you know, should this team that's gone 13-13 and 13 combined over the last two seasons be flaunting a turnover chain? Um, and I've kind of been to the opinion, I just wrote a story on how the biggest one hit wonder in Miami Hurricanes history was the turnover chain because the first year it came out, everybody loved it. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And, and a big reason was because they went 10 and zero, obviously, and were number two in the country. Then they lost three straight and it was like, all right, cool. The turnover chain. It's awesome. I got a, I got a cop. I got my own version, right? Everybody went out and bought their own version of the turnover chain. But then when you go seven and six and six and seven, I don't know how hot it is to be wearing these. And so naturally I asked, which version of the turnover chain is your favorite? Everybody, I mean, 60%, a strong 58% said the U-Charm, which was the very first one. Um, After that, the leading vote getter was, can we retire the turnover chain at 18%? Mike, how do you feel about this thing, man? Where do you sort of fall in the turnover chain uh, phenomenon? I mean, I'm with those 18%. I mean, it, it was it was a nice thing the first year because, it, you know, Miami was winning. They were leading the nation in turnovers. It seemed to be working, right? And then mm-hmm. once the product on the field started going down, it almost looked as if players and the entire team was just more interested in in, in that than actually winning. And And I'm sure I can't be alone on that because – I mean, we, we see the numbers here on, on this graph and from the survey, but it almost seemed like, okay, you know, it had its time. It's now over. You know, there's no, you can't worry about that. And, and I kind of like going back to this quote, our own Bruce Feldman, not the athletic, wrote a story uh, this past summer uh, about Miami's search for swag. And, and there was a quote by, from Alonzo Highsmith, basically saying, swag is watching Michael Irvin 
run routes wearing a 30-pound weight vest after practice in 100% humidity. Swag is running hills at Tropical Park after you've done all your work with the strength coaches. It's the whole team showing up to run in combat boots on the beach. That's swag. It's never missing a practice. It's practicing like every day is your last day. You don't get swag because of a haircut or because you pound your chest or because someone said you were a five-star. Swag is something that is earned. You don't just give it to somebody. And I think that kind of was targeted maybe towards the turnover chain because, you know, swag isn't wearing jewelry, right? It's winning on the field. I think that's what people fear most. That's the whole reason why people were scared of Miami in the eighties, not because they had swagger because they were winning. And, you know, if they, if they were doing that when they were losing, everybody would just look at them like they were clowns. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I think, look, Manny Diaz, when I asked him about this, I asked him particularly, how do you sort of deal with the fact that you guys are losing and, you know, you're bringing out the turnover the chain, you're trying to beat your chest. Um, He's like, look, we can't hide from it. It's almost like we brought it out. It's who we are. And we just kind of have to accept the fact that this is who we are and, and whether or not people like it or people make fun of us when we lose or whatever, um, it's sort of ingrained into the culture now that is Miami Hurricanes football. To me, you know, could should you retire? It's almost like admitting defeat, right? It's almost like you're saying to yourself, hey, uh, we suck now, so we're not going to bring out the chain anymore. And you know what? We should have probably never done it. It's, it's admitting a mistake. But isn't that better than sugarcoating things and pretending things are fine? I agree. I think you shouldn't sugarcoat things. And I think – what Manny needs to do is just scale back the, the antics on the sideline. Like somebody who filled out the survey, one of their favorite players was the guy who dances on the sideline, which is Jalar Holly. But it's almost like they were making fun of yeah. the Kane saying like, okay, my favorite player is the idiot who's dancing on the sideline when we're losing a game. And so I get it. Um, you know, it's embarrassing, but ultimately – um, it is what it is. And, and, I, and I think now that it's created, it's almost as if you can't really take it away because, I don't know, I mean, look, Virginia Tech's had some bad seasons. They still bring out the lunch pail, right? I mean, they, they bring it out every game. Um, I just think what Miami has to do is stop flaunting it and make it such a big deal, you mm-hmm. know? Like, and, and I don't know if they have really any control over it because it's more like the television. You know, it's the camera guys. The moment – somebody creates a turnover it's like oh here we go the turnover chain's coming out oh my god here comes a turnover chain and everybody gets all hyped and then you know it just I don't know I don't know maybe you only bring it out when you're winning a game you know I don't know maybe that's something Manny ought to consider um either way um I'm glad we were able to touch on this subject because I know it, it struck a nerve with us throughout the season and the touchdown rings and all that sort of ridiculousness um in the end, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it is going to stay, and I bet you Manny brings it back whenever this football season gets going. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next survey question, and I'm having a little bit of trouble because my computer's slowing down. Mike, you want to hit the next topic? Yeah, sure. So it, it's basically what should the standard of Miami football be? I, I feel like we have that conversation almost every season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the expectations, every fan says Miami should win a national championship. They should always be contending. But now that college football has sort of shifted, has the standard of Miami football shifted? So we did this. uh, 48.5% said top 10 most years in ACC championship every once in a while. 42% said a perennial college football playoff contender, which is a top four team every year. 
And then 8.7% said a solid top 25 team. It almost seems split between being a top 10 team and a perennial college football playoff contender. I mean, that's just, to me, that's what Miami fans expect. They, they think that based on the fact that this program has won five national championships, that that's where they should be. And, and I don't disagree with it. I think, you know, you look at the talents have been produced out of this area for many, many years. Uh, we just came out with the uh, all-time Miami-Dade uh, football team. Uh, later this week, there's going to be the Broward and Palm Beach uh, County football teams that George Richards is putting together for us. And, you know, the amount of talent that's come out of this area year in and year out is ridiculous. Now, the one thing I will say, I think it's been a little overhyped the last few years in terms of the players that have come out of this area um, in Dade and Broward County. Now, several of them have gone on to become first-round picks, but many of those guys were not four- and five-star recruits. And even some of them were guys that Miami didn't even – nobody really recruited. I mean, Hollywood Brown's sort of a perfect example, a kid out of Hollywood Chaminade who, you know, ended up becoming a first-round pick for the Ravens. Um, You know, he's a guy that wasn't even really on anybody's radar coming out of high school, and yet he's a first-round pick. And people say, oh, look, you didn't get a Miami, you missed. Well, you know, Miami's gone after some local guys and hasn't been able to get them, but – I can't sit here and say, you know, that everybody in the country recruiting them, you know, you can't, you can't. I just think some of the talent has been a little overrated. There's been guys that have been busts that have come out of this area that just haven't been good football players, whether they've gone to Miami or somewhere else. Um, So, you know, look, I, I get the expectations. You should be able to recruit well, but I think the biggest thing that's hampered Miami has been the coaching turnover and the fact that they haven't hired the right head coaches and paid assistance well the last 15 to 20 years. So let me think, ask you this, let me ask you this then Manny. If would the would the standard of Miami football all depend on the coach, right? Mhm. I feel like if you bring in a proven successful head coach and we've talked about talked about this on on this show before. They bring in a Mario Cristobal, right? Right. Proven recruiter, proven South Florida recruiter proven winner at the college football level at the highest level, just won the Rose bowl. I feel like the standard would be a college football contender, right? Especially, especially with the hotbed uh, in South Florida. Now, if you brought in a, say you brought in Mark Richt, uh, you know, back when he, he, he was fired at Georgia and, and came in. I think you could then say top 10, you know, proven got proven winner in the SEC, maybe a little past his prime, but you know, still the standard should be a top ten team because it's a proven winner in Mark Rick, the proven head coach. Is it all depending on which you know, which coach they bring in? I think it does. I think it really be. I mean, look, the bottom line is Miami had. You go back to the seventies, the sixties, the fifties. There's a reason why this program wasn't winning. They didn't have the right head coaches in place. And so ultimately um, you struggle. And then ultimately you hire Howard Schnellenberger and everything changes. He starts recruiting South Florida really well. Um, and, and you start getting some of the better inner city kids like Melvin Bratton and you get Alonzo Highsmith and you get all these guys who were part of South Florida football and maybe were going to other schools and they start staying home and you combine them with Jim Kelly that you, you know, you get out of state and you combine them with, 
some other out-of-state guys, and all of a sudden, you know, you got a winning thing going. And, and so, yeah, it, to me, it always comes down to the coaching. I mean, you look at the hires. For you to be able to go from Howard Schnellenberger to Jimmy Johnson to Dennis Erickson and then essentially Butch Davis, I mean, those four guys um, – I mean, you just – you had a huge winning tradition. Guys that knew how to evaluate talent, knew how to recruit players. Um, none of those guys were from South Florida, by the way. All of them were were, were, were raised. Those head coaches were from other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just think it, without the head coach, the right hire, the right guy in place, the right vision, and then the right assistants. I mean, you go back and you look at the assistants on those staffs. Yeah, They were all guys who developed into coordinators or head coaches, either at the college level or the pro level. and And so – Again, um, it starts with that, and if you don't have a great head coach in place, it's hard to win. So then, so then, I guess your answer is yes. It does d- depend on the coach uh, for the standard at Miami. Now, with that being said, we know Manny Diaz is the coach right now. What's the standard at Miami? It, it, it's hard. I, 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 I've got my answer. I'll, I'll see. I'll see if you agree. I think the standard has to be you should you should still win the division and contend with Clemson. I think you have as much talent as Florida state does. Florida state won a national championship seven years ago. Um, they also had Jimbo Fisher though. Right. And I think that's, that's, you could have all the talent in the world. If you don't have it, college football, isn't like it used to be where Miami won a national championship with Larry Coker as a head coach, not saying, not taking anything away from Larry Coker, but let's face it. A lot of coaches in America could have won a national championship with that roster. It's it's you can have nowadays you can have all the talent in the world, it doesn't matter. You still you need coaching to put you over the top, and well, you, and you need the coaching not just for the X's and O's, but I think player development, you know, and recruiting and, too, because players recruiting. want to play for a proven coach. Exactly, and I think that's the uphill battle that you face when you hire a rookie head coach and Manny Diaz. You you kind of if he's not a superstar in waiting. Um, where he, you know, everybody in the country is going to want to come and hire him away, NFL teams and, and other college teams with more money than Miami, then you didn't hire a good head coach. Yeah. And, and that's the way I think you can sort of gauge it because in the end, uh, the USL, USFL came for Howard Schnellenberger. In the end, the NFL came for Jimmy Johnson. Same thing for Dennis Erickson. Same thing for Butch Davis. Yep. Um, since then, has the NFL come for anybody? No. No. And there, so, there hasn't even been rumors either. Cause you know, you hear all the time, Oh, urban Meyer to the NFL, Nick Saban is right. going back to the NFL. You know, it, you, you don't even hear those rumors even anywhere close to Miami now. No. So I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think the standard right now should be a solid top 25 team. Right. Mm-hmm. I think they're a consistent eight and four team though. If we're, if we're doing that standard versus reality. Yeah, I think um, eight wins. Eight wins should be the minimum. If you don't get to eight wins, then you should be looking for another not coach. not even not even the minimum for me. It's I think that they're an eight win team. I don't think they're better than that. Now, of course, mm-hmm. I'll be the first person to say I hope I'm wrong. Right? I, I'm not. I'm not saying that they're no good. I just I, I we every season we come in, we go in saying based on the schedule because my, let's say so Miami doesn't play the hard the toughest schedules the past couple of years, right? Right. And we say. It should be ten wins, and every year, it really besides the besides the year where they lost in the Orange Bowl, it 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 hasn't been that. It's it's been a letdown. It's been mediocrity. So until I see some some improvement, some reason to not have me say an eight and four team, I, I think that's that's what we're looking at. There, there's not. 
I, I'm not, I, I've been sucked in way too many times to, to start doing that again. I can't do it. Well, um, I agree with you. And, and in the end, you know, I think the biggest difference of what we're seeing now is you're in a tougher conference than the big East was back in yeah. the day. Yeah. I mean, they, or even they, as an, they, or even as an independent when they were right. I, I well, independent, they were still playing really they're tough playing teams. They're playing big top teams, yeah. <clears throat> but I think what's happened is you're in a conference now where if you don't show up and play, you're going to get beat. You're going to lose to Virginia. You're going to lose to Duke. You're going to lose to whoever <clears throat> is is across from you in that conference. I mean, really, yes, the ACC is not a great conference in terms of winning teams outside of Clemson. But Duke is still putting players in the NFL. Virginia's putting players in the NFL. It's not like they don't have NFL caliber talent. So, yes, they may not be as highly rated coming out of high school, those recruits, as the ones Miami gets. But I think people need to keep track in the back of their mind. And I did all this research. I spent weeks upon months uh, researching other teams in the ACC and comparing it to Miami in terms of NFL talent and so forth. I mean, to have four first-round picks the last decade like Miami did, and then to look at everybody else in the ACC and say, holy crap, Miami's like right there with everybody else, it just tells you that there's not a lot of separation between Miami and everybody else in the ACC right now So, with that, what they're producing. With that being said, you said it, you said it perfectly. Four first-round picks the last decade. Does that warrant a consistent top 10 team yearly standard? No, I mean, I, think, I don't think it does, right? No, it doesn't. I think what, what we're saying here is what the fans want and what they expect oh, well, based of course. on history. I, I mean, but I, I think, wanna, I want them to be in a college football playoff contender every year. Right. Do I think that – I think that's an unrealistic standard right now. I think standards can change. I think, you know, when you're going into the 2003 season, I think nothing short of a national championship is, is the standard, right? Right. Now we, we've seen that shouldn't be the standard right now. I think the standard should be maybe winning the, the coastal and we'll kind of get into what makes the, this next season successful. But I think that should be the standard right now. I agree. You can't, um, you can't, you can't jump from a six and seven to a national championship. You just can't do that. No, it takes time and you got to get to 10 wins consistently. You have to recruit like everybody else that's an elite team. I mean, the reality is there's a huge gap between the Clemsons, Ohio States, um, you know, the teams competing for championships every single year in the playoff on every single year and winning their conference every single year with the middle of the pack. I mean, there's just a big gap. And I think the biggest gap for Miami in particular is offensive line, defensive line, um, it, it's getting those elite um, offensive linemen to protect against good pass rushers because it feels like every team in the ACC they got guys who can get to the quarterback, and when you don't give your quarterback time, uh, it's just it's just hard to win. And and I don't think the playmakers are as good anymore either. I mean, you look at the receiver position, the running back position, um, even the tight end position. Um, it's not like again four first round picks the last decade. Who were they? David Njoku, Artie Burns, uh, who are the other two guys? I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Anyway, they're not Phil, superstar Phil running backs and receivers. Huh? Yeah. Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett, right, who is a journeyman receiver in the NFL. So, again, yes, you're recruiting quality enough, you would think, to beat a Duke or to beat a Virginia, but then you look at the numbers and you say, wait a minute, Virginia had just as many first-round picks as Miami, or Duke just had the same amount of first-round. So it's not that big of a talent gap, and I think it's more of, perception versus reality type thing yeah um, agreed all right so 
we got a few more poll questions we want to get to. Um, biggest weakness as a program, biggest strength as a program. Biggest strength is the championship tradition. 78% voted for that. Uh, next was recruiting, 13%. Everybody thinks that based on the backyard, you should be able to win at Miami. That's your greatest strength. What, what's your feeling on this? I, I agree. I also should warn fans that at some point championship tradition kind of expires. Yeah. I mean, I, I, most of these kids are recruiting now have never seen, you know, those glory days are, are way in the past now. They don't ever remember watching them. So right. it, it's, you can say Miami's won five national championships, but uh, do have these kids really seen them? They haven't, uh, besides YouTube. So, right. I, like you said, at some point it expires. I think recruiting got a lot of votes because of, like you said, the area they're in. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 think, I think those are probably the strengths as of now. So your biggest strength is expiring. That's yeah. not a good sign for the health of your program moving no. forward. Biggest weakness, 43.9%, 44% said coaching. Uh, this was interesting. I didn't expect this to, to get as many votes as it did, but fan experience – um, got 23% of the vote or 20, 23% of the vote, mm-hmm. uh, recruiting, um, was 16%. I guess people aren't happy with the fan experience at the games. I mean, yeah. what does that I, 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 I think it, it, the empty stadium, I think that's what they mean by fan right. experience. Yeah. Okay. But, um, I, for me, I think it all starts at the top and cause for that, it's a trickle down effect to all those other things. I think it starts with the administration, um, them, really wanting to improve this program rather than just collecting the money. And if that's the case, they'll get right head coaches in place who will then recruit the right players. I think it's a, it's a trickle down effect from there. It starts at the top. And I think that's where the weakness is. We, I mean, we've talked about it at length on this podcast. Um, you know, do, does the administration really want to win? And I think the fact that we're even asking that question is the weakness in itself. I agree. Um, how satisfied were you with Miami's 2019 season? One to five, one completely unsatisfied, five completely satisfied. I think we knew where this answer was going. Yeah. Completely unsatisfied, 72%, moderately unsatisfied, uh, 23%. So the overwhelming uh, majority, you go six and seven, you're going to be unsatisfied. Not surprising whatsoever. Um, moderately satisfied, by the way, got 1.6% of the vote. So there are a few supporters from Manny Diaz out there. Who, uh, who want to be patient. But the reality is when you've got 2% of the uh, population who is patient for you, that's not good. Not, not good. good. <laughs> um, all right. Speaking of Andy Diaz, how would you rate Manny Diaz's performance in his first season as head coach? Uh, 38% below average, 30% poor. So 68% basically said uh, not, not good. good. <laughs> not good. We 27% see said average. Yeah. Um, I, I could see the, I could see where those 27% are coming from first year head coach, you know, right. but I, it, he's also been in the program. So it's kind of hard to, right. To give him that kind of a pass. It's basically 70, 30 here where people are, are thinking he, he didn't do good enough. And mm-hmm. I think Manny Diaz would tell you he didn't do good enough, but here's one thing I, I will say in Manny Diaz's defense. Um, as much as you could sit here and say he was part of the program coaching the defensive side of the ball, I think you need to really understand from a, from a coaching perspective, he did not have his fingers in the offense whatsoever. No, of course and, not. And when he took over, 
um, at the end of December, and he you know decided to fire the offensive staff and 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 then move on to Dan Enos and some of those other assistants. It's kind of it's kind of late in the game to sort of start hiring guys in late December, early January. And yes, he was the coach at Temple before, but it's different when you're trying to hire at Temple versus trying to hire at Miami. You would think it'd be easier, like, oh, okay, great, you're gonna. But a lot of the good head coaches or assistant coaches, rather, and even coordinators were already on with somebody else because I mean the football season ends December. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. majority of the firings happen around that time. Around Thanksgiving, even. Thanksgiving, right. Thanksgiving. And, and so, you know, everybody else has a month head start on you. And look, I know Danny Enos was supposed to be the big splash hire, but I mean, how else is he supposed to sell that to recruits? Right. I mean, Hey, we got this guy, the quarterbacks coach from Alabama, and he's going to come in here and revolutionize our offense. Well, yeah, he's also going to do it with two freshman offensive linemen starting and, and, you know, really six guys that you can play on that line that aren't very good. Inexperienced quarterbacks. Right. It just it was a bad fit from the get-go in terms of scheme and what Dan Enos wanted to do, the play calling, the play action, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you had the whole quarterback issue. It, it was – I don't know how much of the blame you can honestly put on Manny Diaz because he didn't recruit any of those quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And, yes, he hired Dan Enos, but he hired him, you know, sort of with a smaller pool to choose from. And I don't think he had a lot of time to really make up his mind. It's kind of hard to say, hey, I'm taking over as coach, and by the way, we're going to the spread right away. It's kind of like, well, look, we ran Mark Rick's system, and we had 10 wins, you know? And, hey, maybe we just stick with the same style offense, bring in a guy who's a better quarterback's coach, and that makes a difference. I can see where his mindset was. So now, so, so what you're saying is you were in the 4.8% who voted for above average. No, I, I did not vote above average. Okay. But I will say, I, I just I think it's fair to defend Manny Diaz a little bit and say, look, first year, yeah. it's hard. And really where I defend him most, and, and you could certainly make a case is, look what he's done in year two. He had an entire year to be in the offensive meeting rooms, to, to see it all, and he immediately said, hey – We've got to change this. Well, was that, from, was that from public outlash, though? Or was it because he thought it was the right no. thing? No, I think, he, I think he, as a defensive coach, seeing the, the problems that he was having on offense, being in those meetings, and then seeing how teams were attacking his offense, he's like, well, we got to change. we got to, we got to go to this spread format. We don't have the offensive line to bully anybody. We've got to get rid of the ball quickly. We need an athletic quarterback. Jaron's not athletic enough. Nikosi's not accurate enough. Let's go out and get a quarterback who can, can run this offense, and let's try to win that way. And in the end, look, the defense had areas that they let, they let us down, right? The secondary against North Carolina had a bad game. They gave up the big pass play against Florida. They got them beat. They had their moments. But in the end, you go back and you look at those defensive numbers, they're not that bad. For the, for, the, for, the, for the most part, they hung on where the offense should have helped them out. At some, at, at some point, when the offense wasn't giving the defense anything, they were, they were, it was inevitable for them to break at some point. And Manny Diaz, I think, ultimately gave them enough um, in terms of a foundation on defense, even with Blake Baker coming in and maybe changing a few things here or there. In terms of recruiting the talent to the team, he did it, right? He recruited Greg Rousseau. He got um, a lot of those guys on that defense that are going to be a big part of the team moving forward. Um, so, to me – um, he did his job as a coordinator. The, the overall question is, does Miami – should Miami have gone with a more experienced head coach? And I think everybody agrees, yes. You should have gone with a more experienced head coach who was a better recruiter, had a better reputation, and could hire better assistants. Now, 
Is that to say Manny Diaz can't get better in the year ahead or the years ahead? No, because I think this offense, this system, and this quarterback can win them 10 games. Yeah. With yeah, the schedule. I agree. I agree. And, and I think all of us can sit here saying, well, Manny Diaz suddenly figured it out, right? <laughs> he, did, he, he punched all the right buttons. He's got this thing going the right way. But, Ultimately, but, but, then, but then we'll ask, was it because of De'Ara King? And if that's the case, he's gone after, after one year. Right. You know what I mean? What, was it right. just a well, one-year thing? Then you gotta prove that you, then you gotta prove that you can recruit a quarterback again. You get yep. another grad transfer, or you or you do whatever you have to do. Maybe it's Tyler Van Dyke. Maybe he develops into a guy who's good enough to run the system that you want. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I do know this. One thing I do like is the fact that he hired Garen Justice um and and the receivers coach whose name is escaping me, and I just wrote about him. Rob Likens, right. I always say Rob Knowles in my head for some reason. It's Rob Likens. And I'm always like, it's not Rob Knowles, it's Rob Likens. Um, both of those guys, um, when you when you do this job for as long as I have, the names literally just they intertwine and like I call everybody. I called I don't know if you remember Marcus Forston, right? Oh, yes. Miami Northwestern kid. Right, Northwestern. I covered his brother Dustin first. I called Marcus Dustin for five years. All five years at Miami. Every time I interviewed him, hey Dustin. And it's like, no, it's Marcus. It's so it's just yeah, it's so ingrained in your head. It's, it's just, it, it is. And it's so, it's like, you remember these names and they just, so anyway, we're getting off, off uh, a track <laughs> here, but, but in the end, look, um, my point was, I, I like the fact that he hired two coaches, two, two assistants in um, justice and Likens who were offensive coordinators slash head coaches in the past. Mm-hmm. And they have that experience so that if you do lose Lashley after the season, whenever it's played, if the offense blows up and Lashley gets a head coaching job somewhere, you could hand the reins over to somebody who was a part of his offense and has experience calling plays to be the guy. Or, or, or Manny Diaz knows what kind of offense is, is successful, then go out and hire another coach very similar exactly. to that. Exactly. There's but a lot I, of different ways you can go. I, I, think, I think we'll come to this conclusion. I think you'll agree with this, that – Manny Diaz saw some problems that he needed to change. He got he made those changes. If they still come out of this season very mediocre, six and seven, seven and six, then I think we have to look at Manny Diaz. Correct. Correct. So we'll yeah, we'll, see, we'll see if the changes he made worked. If not, then I think you know you have to look at the at the guy at the top. All right, let's move on to the next question because we're, we're getting deep into some of these, and I know we've been going for a while here. Um, on a scale of one to five, how excited are you for Miami's 2020 season? Um, excited. Not extremely excited, but excited. One, they got 40%. Uh, extremely excited next with 31%. And then a little bit excited, about 20%. Either way, there's excitement. Yeah. Nobody's numb to, uh, <laughs> to this Miami season. Mm-hmm. I guess 7% are. Yeah, uh, and and I think we got uh, five overall votes for dreading it, and and I, and I think that has a lot to do with the optimistic um, nature. That and with with King and Lashley, everyone's like, okay, this we fought, we've been wanting a spread offense forever. King is the right quarterback. It's almost like okay, like they're excited about these moves finally. Uh, you know, let let's see them in action. So I, right. I think that that's what it comes down to. And I would say, I think if we asked that same poll question the day after the bowl game, oh, it'd be, it'd, it'd be 95% would be dreading it. Yep. <laughs> oh, Without yeah. knowing if Danny knows was fired, it would yep. be that way. Um, all right. Which game are you looking forward to the most? 76, 77% Florida State. Um, again, this isn't a very sexy schedule, 
13.5%, say uh, Michigan State, and then Temple. Temple gets well, 5% I, of the rate. I, I put that on there because that's the, uh, that's the opening game. So I figured, right. okay, you're excited for, this, you know, for the season. So. Right. And, and I love the write-in vote. Somebody said terrible schedule. Uh, all of them, I question if there will be a season due to COVID-19. Yeah. Yes, we, we all know. And then so, Somebody said the ACC championship game. But that's extreme optimism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. How many games will Miami win in 2020? Um, 37% of the vote majority said nine games. Uh, next on the list, 31% said 10 games. And then about 18% said eight games. Only 8% said more than 10. I mean, that might have been Kelvin. Kelvin might have voted 38 times in our survey. Yeah. Uh, saying more than more than 10 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, what's yeah, your expectation? But, uh, what's a fair expectation in your mind? I, I said it before when we were talking about Sanders. I think eight. Eight for this coming season? Yeah. I mean, I and what's surprising is 75% think they're going to win nine or more games. That's... It's a lot for a team that just went six and seven who, you know, lost to FIU. They, they, they quit against Louisiana Tech in the bowl game. It's right. – I don't know. It, it's a lot to turn around. Um, I, 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 I would say think – I think it's nine to ten. I agree with them, believe it or not. Really? Because I mean, of, just because it, of the it, change it, in the offense. Okay. So you think the offense will maybe help guys like Mark Pope who couldn't really find it. Maybe now you can utilize his speed in the open field. Maybe it'll help break out some of these players that we've been waiting to see. I think running the ball was such a problem last year, and that's yeah. such a fundamental part of winning. Mm-hmm. Um, so is blocking to, and the offensive line. Yeah, and I think the scheme, you know, the fact that you're going to be in hurry up is going to get teams tired. I think all of those things, um, it's almost like Miami's been fighting with one hand behind their back. Yeah. for the last few years. You know, when you've only got got a defense out there, um, yes, they're top 25 defense, but they're not the number one defense. When, when, when they're not absolutely the best in the country, it's hard to win games unless you're completely the, the best unit on one side of the ball. Yeah. And basically, basically, if you're the number one team in the country, you're asking your offense to score 13 points. And that's not too difficult. But when you have a top 25 defense, you're saying, okay, offense, if you can score 20, 24 points a game, we should be fine. And that's where Miami's had their problems. They, they couldn't do that. Go back to the Georgia Tech game. How many yep. points did they score against a terrible Georgia Tech team? I mm-hmm. mean, there are too many games where you're scratching your head. I mean, even the Pittsburgh game. I know Pittsburgh has a very good defense, but you're saying to yourself, you can't get in the end zone? Like mm-hmm. You can't score two touchdowns against Pittsburgh? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And, and so I think – Right off the bat, Derek King gives you two touchdowns a game. I mean, I think he's that good. And then you throw in a running game. Uh, that's another touchdown a game. Mm-hmm. A couple field goals. I mean, you get 27, 28 points a game from this offense, you're, you're going to win nine, ten games. And because I, think, I still think the defense is good enough. I think that leads us into our next one where we're, <laughs> we're talking about how the defense was carrying the offense. Mm-hmm. We asked who will Miami's defense miss the most. Uh, 67.7% said Shaq Quarterman. 15 said Trajan Bandy. 10% said Michael Pinckney. Uh, three, just about 4% said Jonathan Garvin. So I, uh, overwhelming amount said Shaq Quarterman. And, I mean, I, I think you have to agree with that um, based on not only the type of player he is, but his leadership uh, as well. I understand the 15% that said Trajan Bandy. Uh, I'm not saying he was a better player 
than Michael Pinkney, but the fact that the secondary is very thin, I think that's why Miami's defense will miss him uh, as well. Yeah, I I think Cordum is the right answer here just because he's the the head of the snake in the defense uh, in terms of lighting guys up and and telling them where to be. And you go back to that bowl game, you know, the offense didn't show up. The defense did in a game that didn't matter. And it did because Shaq Cordum had played in it. And I think they were in that game and it was 7-0 until the very end because Shaq Quarterman was playing in that game. If Shaq Quarterman doesn't play in that game, I think that's a 28-0, 35-0 type game. Yeah. And you're really embarrassed. I mean, you're embarrassed as is losing 14-0 Louisiana Tech, but 35-0, something like that, that that's probably what would have happened in that game. Yeah. All right. We've reached the uh, interesting portion. Because, the, and I say only interesting portion because the I, I right, was kind of laughing write in, at some The write-in portion? <laughs> yes. Who is your favorite player on the current Miami roster? And so Mike and I, uh, this this didn't have a little pie chart that's easy to break down because everybody was able to write in their answers. And there were so, spelling errors too. And there's spelling errors, which which really, to me, I don't know how many different ways you can spell Greg Rousseau. I could probably figure it out, but I, I can tell you our fans certainly do not know how to spell Greg Rousseau's last name. There, I, I would say out of the 30-plus votes that Greg Rousseau uh, got uh, to be the number one vote getter. I saw maybe seven different ways to spell his last name. At okay. least. Interesting. Uh, some people just decided not to even try. They just went with 15 on defense. I saw one that was GR15. Yeah. GR15, right. And then number two, this one was kind of interesting. We talked about this before we started recording. Derek King, who hasn't even played a down for Miami, yeah. is, is the second leading vote getter. Do you, understand, do you almost understand it, though? It's almost like so desperate to see the quarterback succeed. Yeah, I think that's what it was. we've been waiting for a quarterback forever. You finally bring him in. You're like, you know what? This guy's my favorite guy. <laughs> you know, I, I don't even need to see him. You know, so I, I, it, it's, it's very funny. Some other uh, vote getters here. I'll give you the top five. Cam Harris was next. Uh, then you got Brevin Jordan. And then Al Blades. Um, you got a tie for sixth place here between Lou Headley, the punter, Zach McLeod and Bubba Bolden. Yeah. So that's that's what I came up here uh, came up with here for a favorite Canes player. Um, I like the fact that the punter. I mean, every Lou Headley's got a fan base. I'm, I got to write more Lou Headley stories. Apparently. Yeah. I think I, I think what you, I think your next story on him has to be him uh, breaking down what each tattoo means. There you go. <laughs> um, now, who's your favorite all time Hurricanes player? Um, you would think this would be um easy like a clear cut front runner and we have one guy who's kind of above the rest but after that it's kind of a mix you kind of everybody got votes and you obviously have a lot to choose from but um ed reed number one got the most votes um michael irvin sean taylor in that next tier and then ken dorsey frank gore ray lewis duke johnson edrin james jerome brown that's kind of the next tier after that. Um, and he, who was your favorite Canes player growing up? Santana Moss. Santana Moss. Why Santana? Yeah. Well, so I, I'm not sure if I've told this story on here before, but the first game I ever watched as, as a kid, first ever college football game was the uh, 1998 game against UCLA. That's the day, oh, I, became okay. a, that's the day I became a, uh, a Canes fan. And um, just watching Santana Moss catch that bomb was just, you know, that's probably my first memory as a fan. And then 
Uh, and then being a, a New Jersey guy, a Jets fan, Santana Moss getting drafted by the Jets. It's a, it's right. almost like it was meant to be. Right. What about so, you? Uh, Growing, you growing up in Miami, I feel like you've got <laughs> you've got to have at least one. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, everybody on theathletic.com, I'm gonna here we go promoting them again. Um, they wrote the my favorite player story, mm-hmm. and I literally was having like a crisis for a week trying to figure out who the hell do I write about because I've covered everything in South Florida. Yeah, and and then I thought to myself, do I even really have a favorite player? Everybody's got a favorite. You would think so, but I've been doing this since I was 17 years old. And so, you know, you're supposed to do this whole, it's like separation of church and state, right? Yeah. Like you, you separate your fandom from your, from your professionalism and your job. And so, so many of the people that I've been exposed to in sports, I, I, it's been because I'm a reporter, not because I was a fan. And so I, I was trying to think back, okay, when I was a fan, when I was a kid, what, who did I really root for? And I loved... I love Dan Marino. There you go. I love the March. There's... I love the March Brothers. All right, what, what about Hurricanes, though? And then, and then Hurricanes. I absolutely love the Hurricanes. I rooted for every single one. Of them. But again, those guys come and go. It like rotates, right? They're not here forever. You have no. Yeah, no... but you you didn't have a just a a Canes fan as a I, kid I, growing up. You didn't I, like we. You, you're playing football on the street. You didn't pretend to be one of them. I didn't. I I, I didn't, man. I played oh, so much boy. baseball. I played so much baseball growing up as a kid. That my favorite player is a baseball, uh, young baseball player is Will Clark. I just I played okay. first base. I love the way that he's you know just a pure hitter. Um, I loved him and Tony Gwynn, pure hitters. That's mm-hmm. that's who I tried to model my game after. And then, um, you know, with football, it's like I, I I loved all those guys. I loved Irvin. You know, I loved I loved that '87 team that won the championship, especially after they lost to Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I loved Jerome Brown and and when he was a defensive tackle and just this dominating defensive force in the middle of Miami's defense. I loved all those teams, and it was great and so much fun to watch them. But to pick one, it's it's almost impossible for me. All right, so so we'll go with uh, Michael Irvin and Jerome Brown for you. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll go with those two guys. We'll call okay. it we'll call it even. All cool. right. Um. All right. Now this was an interesting question that you threw in here. Um, and you got it off of sort of an idea of somebody else's um, mm-hmm. survey. If you could pick one player from any college football team to play at Miami, who would it be? You did the research, so you take the results. So I, the overwhelming favorite, probably I would say we got close to 500 responses. Um, about 113 said Trevor Lawrence, which that's not really a surprise, right? Best quarterback in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the position need that Miami has. Uh, I, I think that was the clear cut. Then second was actually shocking, but not shocking. 30 votes got Panay Suell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. Right. Uh, 24 votes got uh, Justin Fields. Jamar Chase, uh, the receiver from LSU, got 12. And Derek Stingley Jr. got 12 as well from LSU. Those were I, the top five. I like the fact that we have actual legit college football fans, not just people who are – into Miami, they actually pay attention to what the other teams have. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to applaud them because it wasn't just Clemson guys. Yeah. Right. I mean, you got Oregon represented in there um, and, and offensive linemen. I mean, that's, that's great. I'm glad to see that, that, that our fans are a little bit more intelligent than just the average, Hey, who's on Miami. That's, you know, that's who I want. Yeah. Um, although I will laugh at, at the whole, you know, if, if they're not Canes, I don't want them commentary yeah. that, that we had. That was, that was good. Um, mm-hmm. All right, which new addition are you looking forward to the most? 
this one was kind of expected. Um, yeah. Derek King, number one, six, close to 60%, 59%. Um, Rhett Lashley, uh, 37%. So ultimately, to me, it's the same guy. It's Rhett Lashley and Derek King um, because they're the offense. Everybody's looking forward to see. Ed Reed, chief of staff, only got – 3.6% of the vote. And I think a big reason is because most people know what kind of effect is he really going to have anyway. Right? Yeah. We're all sort of sitting here saying on the field, it may not be much. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. 2020 season will be considered a success for Miami. If, and the majority of the votes here, 10 wins, 10 games, win the coastal uh, ACC championship. Um, I think most people have those expectations. We've kind of gone over that one already. Um, and then what does Miami do need to do to improve the program coaching recruit better? Those are sort of the overwhelming responses yep. offensive line, another one. Um, and then here's my favorite. What would you like to hear more of on the wide right podcast of those final three questions? As we wrap up the show here, Mike, um, which, which commentary, um, grabbed you the most? I, I guess it's the, what would make the season successful? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it almost goes back to the thing we started off the show with. What are the expectations versus the reality? Mm-hmm. Now, you believe 10 wins is realistic. And, and, I mean, I would certainly consider that a success since I think they're an eight-win team right now. Um, but you also had some saying, you know, compete with being able to compete with Clemson in the national championship, in the ACC championship game. You had a team who just played in the, in, um, in the national championship game. Like, I, you expect to compete with them in the ACC championship game this year? I think that's very, very touchy. And, and I think that right. we're, we're getting into this point where we're wanting something mm. more than what we should actually expect. And I just, like I said, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, I hope they go 13-0, and win a national championship. I, I would be the first one to admit I was wrong. I'm just, I'm not expecting anything more than eight wins until, until until I see progress on the field because we can't just keep buying into all these changes and all these like recruits who weren't necessarily recruited by other top programs, but you know, have all this hype around them that we automatically think, Oh, well, like he wanted to be here. So he's better than a five-star that didn't want to be here. It's like, you know, he, he may have wanted to be here more than a five-star, but it doesn't mean he's a better player and he's going to help them win more. So I, I think that's, that's my little rant to end this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think Miami fans, it, it's self-awareness, right? It's, it's what are you really and what should you, what should you expect? Should you lower expectations? Um, I, I think what, what we've learned from this survey is no, Miami fans will never lower their expectations. They're always going to want a championship winning program, a team that's in the hunt. What Manny Diaz and company have done the last few years isn't good enough. And in the end, um, you know, that's the only thing Miami, fan, Miami fans are going to expect. Are they always going to expect them to win nine to 10 games? I think the majority of them are, but I think the smart ones know what this program has become mm-hmm. and they've, they've, they've been around to accept reality and accept the fact that this program is where it is right now and it needs where it needs to go to get better. I think they all see what's lacking, what's missing. Um, look, man, um, <laughs> I just think the only thing that's going to change this right now is going to be excellent quarterback play. Like you need to have, 
if you're going to win 10 games regularly, you need to have a great quarterback year in, year out. And, and Oklahoma's proof positive of that. They don't even need, really need a defense to win 10, 11 games and win their conference. And they can, um, they can have a different quarterback every year too, they've shown. Right. And, and I think that's where college football is headed. And I think, you know, we, we talk about QB transfers. Um, I, I think this is going to be the, the sort of the way life is from now on. I think there are going to be a lot of quarterbacks from sitting on the bench at Clemson or sitting on the bench at um, Alabama or Ohio State or wherever they're at. And if they can't overtake the number one guy, they're going to end up being a starter for somebody else. Yeah. And it's just the way it's going to be every single year from now on. If you've got two or three great quarterbacks that you recruit and one, only one of them can play, you're, you're just holding on to that quarterback for a couple of years until they transfer as, as a grad transfer. And yeah. so um, that's the way college football is from now on. I think it's a lot harder to do at other positions. I think offensive line is very hard to do. If you're a great offensive lineman, you're not going to leave wherever you're at because you're playing already. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, linebackers, you know, DBs. There's, al- there's also multiple DB positions and linebacker positions. There's only one quarterback There's multiple position. ways to get on the field, yeah. right? I mean, I would think what you'll see is quarterbacks, running backs, and maybe receivers, right? If guys Well, I don't know because you, you can even put running backs and receivers on special teams. Right, but, but I, think, I think you could see guys who think they're better than their role is at those right. schools, at an Alabama or Ohio State, saying, right. I'll go to Miami and be the – be the guy and, you know, and, yeah. and go as a grad transfer and just ball out my final year and parlay that into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what the new college football is going to be from now on. Yeah. Um, by the way, any, any good recommendations for podcasts that, that caught your eye, anything there that you, that you said, okay, we got to get more of this on the show for sure. Um, I think former Canes was a big one. I think a lot mm-hmm. of fans want to hear from former Canes, um, former stories, you know, mm-hmm. from, from the old days. Um, more, I, I, more Mike Zimmerman. Yeah, I saw that from one of my college buddies. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I also saw that um, you know they want to hear they want fans want to hear what we actually think and not you know the the robotic response saying oh things will get better you know things are on the right, right. They, because you know they want they want to feel like they're not the only ones going through this. So right, well they're not. I, I've yeah. got to cover this team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, Mike, this was fun, man. I'm glad awesome. you came up with the survey idea and I'm glad we were able to, to provide an hour's worth of content here that takes people away from, from kind of what we're going through in the world today. It was fun to sort of disappear into Kane's world for an hour. We're going to come back with some more podcasts here in the weeks ahead. Um, I mentioned the interviews that we had with Rob Likens and, uh, Garen justice, and we're probably going to have somebody else this week at some point, another assistant coach or player or something. So we'll provide some audio on that. Mike and I are going to rack our brains to come up with some better ideas. We're going to take some of your suggestions and and put put that together. But Mike, it was fun. Thanks for thanks for coming on and doing this with me. And and hopefully, you know, you guys are free to to message us on Twitter, Manny underscore Navarro. Mike, you can tell them about your Twitter account. Uh, I'm just at Mike sees him. Very simple. Mike sees him, and uh, we're going to get Kelvin on. Kelvin's sort of bored out of his mind. He's been calling me. At, <laughs> at all times just what do i do you know he's watching tv shows watching movies um he wants to come on and talk football i'm sure we'll have him on again but uh thanks for tuning in to this week's uh episode of the wide right podcast we'll be back soon stay safe everybody 
and uh, go Canes, right? That's what we're supposed to say right now. That's the, that's the magic phrase. Yeah, that, that's what we'll end with. That's what we'll end with. Run with go Canes. Sixty minutes of SmackDown, like the Rock was still on the team, but it's JT Four down the seam. Jay Will with the TD, kickoff team ready to eat. First two, knock them out. Dinner is on me. DJ Dallas.